Bible's open to Job chapter 1 this morning. I want to begin with an observation made by the, by the New York Times fairly recently. We live in a culture, they said, awash in talk about happiness. We live in a culture awash in talk about happiness. In fact, last year in a three-month period, there were more than a thousand books released on Amazon on the topic of happiness. A thousand books in a three-month period on happiness. But notice this phenomenon, says the New York Times. When people remember the past, they don't only talk about happiness. It's often the ordeals that seem most significant. People shoot for happiness, but feel formed through suffering. People shoot for happiness, but often feel formed through suffering. In the first two chapters of the book of Job, we read about Job's astonishing response to an avalanche of disasters that shape his life through suffering. Let's walk beside him this morning and explore five extraordinary scenes from his life. Five scenes that actually resulted in calamity. The opening scene on earth provides us with a picture into the life of Job. It helps us see his family, his family life, his walk with God, his, his great wealth. He was one of the richest men in the East. God calls Job blameless and upright, and Job is pictured in the early chapters praying with him, interceding for his ten children. So let's have a look at, at Job's walk with God. Chapter 1, verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, or in other words, his birthday. And, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. So here's this guy, this Old Testament saint, who provides a covering, amazingly, provides a covering for his family, a covering for his children. He's providing a spiritual covering just in case in the birthday celebrations they, they drank too much or they said something they shouldn't have said or whatever. He makes atonement for them. He, 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 just in case they've sinned against God, he wants to make sure he's got it covered. A great father he is. In scene two then, the spotlight shifts from earth to heaven and we're given a... a a behind-the-scenes look uh, into the circumstances responsible for all of the suffering that Job experienced. Because there's a troubler in heaven. We'll see that in a moment. Verse 6. There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Now, that phrase, the sons of God, probably refers to the heavenly beings or the angels who would gather before the Lord just like a council would gather before the king. And Satan also came among them. 
The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? And then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land, but stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he'll curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So here, here's Job. Job is, is completely in the dark. He has no idea that Satan has, has wagered that he would actually curse God if he, was, if he was pressured enough, if he was pushed hard enough, he would curse God. S Satan was betting on that. So with the backdrop now of Job's fiery trial rolled into place, let's look at the third scene, which I think is, is Satan's all-out assault. And, of course, it creates catastrophe on earth for, for Job. Verse 13 of Job chapter 1. Now, there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said... The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While this messenger was yet speaking, there came another messenger and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. I alone have escaped to tell you. Haven't we just read that? While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Well, while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they are dead. All ten of your children, seven brothers and three sisters, they're all dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. So, folks, without warning, without any warning at all, the, a tsunami of Satan's fury crashes onto the placid shores of Job's life, and everything is swept out to sea. Everything he has, everything he's treasured, everything he's worked hard to build is gone. It's gone. And the storm isn't over yet. Let's see what happens in the next scene. Satan is not satisfied yet. Job chapter 2, verse 1. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from 
walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? He still holds fast his integrity. Interesting statement that he makes right, kind of right in the middle of all that, huh? He holds fast his integrity. Although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. And then Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. All that a man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh and he'll curse you to your face. (laughs) And the Lord said to Satan, behold, he's in your hand. Only spare his life. Not satisfied with wiping out Satan's, uh, I, mean, I mean, not satisfied with wiping out Job's life's work and bereaving him of his children, Satan hisses out his new scheme, skin for skin. And in the fifth scene, Satan would destroy Job's body to get at his soul. And obviously, Job's agony is intensified in the process. Verse 7, so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. Most commentators would say this is probably boils. He's got boils that have broken out on his body from the bottom of his feet to the crown of his head. And he, meaning Job, took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. So as Job is trying desperately to get back up on his feet, he's knocked down again by another wave of disaster. I I think Satan felt certain that, that the misery brought on by this debilitating disease would cause Job to become bitter against God and rise up against him, and rail against him, and curse his name, and turn away from God. But Job's trust did not waver. Job's trust in the Lord did not waver, much to Satan's chagrin. So we're going to look at four responses that Job made that really reveal how he held fast to his integrity. Can you do that when you've lost everything? Can, can, can you maintain your integrity when you, you've lost your family and you've lost, lost your life's work or, and your heart's been ripped out of your chest? Can you somehow maintain your integrity? That would be the goal for us, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it, Ken? That would be our goal, to maintain our integrity in spite of it all. Job is now completely alone in his, minis- in his misery. He's completely alone. And, and the guy embodies despair. Don't you think? You think of all that happened to him. He's just, he embodies despair as he sat scratching the wounds with a piece of broken pottery, trying to get some relief from all these boils. However, his deep resolve to trust God was evident in, in the responses that he gave to this devastating calamity. And the first response is shocking. Worship. 
when Satan retreated to see what his victim would do about this first round of calamities, hopefully curse God, he was startled when Job instead fell on his face and worshipped. I think the old Slewfoot was absolutely certain that finally he had Job in a spot where Job was going to stand up and curse God. But he doesn't. Instead, he, he arose and tore his robe, which is a sign of, 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 of sorrow and, and grief, and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. Not usually my first response to calamity. Battered and worn by Satan's assault, Job bows in worship. Not just his body, but his spirit, his will, lay flat out prostrate before the Lord in, in, a, in an act of total obedient surrender to the will of God and the sovereignty of God. His head was shaved as bare as his life, and his clothes were as tattered as his heart, and yet he... He worships. He's got nothing left. He worships God. We see another response. I, I think it's a response of humility. Satan waited for Job to speak, thinking his words would undoubtedly betray a festering bitterness toward God. But what came from Job's lips were not, were not words of cursing, but words of blessing. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Wow. Job's simple song of faith reveals a, a humble surrender to God's sovereign but somewhat mysterious plan. That's not a bad blueprint for us to follow. That's not a bad blueprint to build on, folks. Because there aren't many of us here that could say decisively, I know the will of God at every turn in my life. Rather, we, we humbly surrender to God's sovereign plan, even though it is mysterious at times. And then there's silence. Another one of Job's astonishing responses came just after Satan had afflicted him with boils. And I, I think it's evident in what he does not do. He took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes Sitting in ashes in the Old Testament was a sign of, 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 of repentance and remorse and grief. And so it's, it's in what he doesn't do that reveals his humility. He, he doesn't scream at God. He doesn't lash out. He doesn't curse his, his situation. He doesn't, he doesn't blast his neighbors. He doesn't go after the people who hurt him. He didn't say anything. I think I'd be screaming at the top of my lungs, shaking my fist at the heavens. But Job's misery drove him to silence and to the ash heap. 
his silent, humble grieving really is, 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 is even more remarkable when you, when you survey the entire book of Job and, 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 and look at all that happened to his life physically. I mean, I get a paper cut some days and I'm complaining for days how, how much it hurts. And you, paper cuts do hurt, don't they? It seems silly, but there's just such a little cut and yet it's so painful. Man, when you, when you look at Job's speeches and all that he experienced and put it all together, it's overwhelming. The totality of his illness from, from the rest of the book of Job is, is overwhelming. Uh, from Job's speeches, some of the symptoms that he suffered included disfiguration, these pus-filled sores that would scab over and crack and then ooze pus all over again, sores infected with worms, fever with chills, eyes red and swollen, diarrhea, that's fun, sleeplessness and delirium, choking, bad breath, emaciation, excruciating pain in his entire body. I mean, this was as violent and as horrible an illness as anybody could imagine. This is chemo and radiation on steroids. It's bad. But instead of shaking his fist at God, like I might or you might, Job wraps his pain in the gauze of silence. And let's not forget about Job's wife. She too suffered the loss of everything, right? She lost her home. She lost her ten children. She lost everything too. And sometimes us guys, we forget about that. You know, we, we lose our jobs and we lose our significance, you know. We lose our job and our, our wives lose their security. They, 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 they sometimes suffer in silence much more than we do. So his wife says to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity after all of this has happened? Why don't you just curse God and die? I don't think she had the gift of encouragement. Her, her rhetorical question doubts the sensibility of the very thing that God commends about Job, his integrity. And that's the very point that she unwittingly attacks him. You still going to hold on to your integrity? What is wrong with you? Why don't you just cut it short, curse God, and die? According to her, the best way to, to ease our pain and suffering is to compromise your faith in, in God. Not really the best approach. But before we condemn her to the ash heap, let me just say that I, I get it. I, I, I understand her, her response. 15, 16 months ago, I watched my own wife go through hell as our lives were turned upside down. So I, I get it. Some of us have been there. Some of us know what this feels like. And the last response from Job that reveals his integrity, I think, is acceptance. Acceptance. How did Job answer his wife? Well, amazingly, he held fast to his faith. He, he gently corrects her misguided counsel and then willingly accepted his miserable plight. 
He said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we not receive good from God? And shall we not receive evil? Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. In other words, you've got to take the bad with the good. That's the advice that we give our kids all the time. Well, honey, you've got to learn to take the bad with the good. can't be good all the time. If it was good all the time, you wouldn't appreciate the good times because you wouldn't have anything to compare it to. You've got to take the bad with the good. But then when the tables are turned and it happens to us, all of a sudden we, we forget about that good counsel. And that's what Job is saying, you know. We, are we just going to accept good from God? We, we, we have to accept the bad stuff too. So acceptance, that's why I'm saying I, I think this is a, a response that he's making. Look, we've got to accept this. This is father filtered. This is, comes to us through the hand of God, and, and, and God, God knows what he's doing. So I'll just think, I'll accept this. I don't understand it. I don't like it. I'm not a fan, but I'll accept it. He doesn't presume to know her heart fully. What man would be so dumb? He doesn't know her heart fully, but warns against... I'm getting the evil eye up here. Uh, <laughs> I love you, dear. I, I am so committed to our relationship. But he, he warns against speaking like one of the foolish women of the day. And I, I think with this humble response... Job actually chokes the last little bit of energy out of Satan's diabolical scheme. Satan's got nothing left to come back at him with. He simply would not be dissuaded from following God regardless of how bleak life had become. Could I say that one more time? He simply would not be dissuaded from following God regardless of how bleak life had become. Not a bad pattern to follow. He, he would not give up trusting God, no matter what. No matter what, he was not going to give up. And we haven't either. Amen? We're not giving up. So before we end our journey with Job this morning, let's consider really how his faith withstood such intense testing. There are three reasons for this reinforced stability. And from the passages that we've studied and looking ahead a little bit in the book of Job, we see, first of all, that Job looked up and was comforted by God's sovereignty. Job could have easily concluded from his circumstances and all that happened that God was cruel and God was capricious and God didn't love him and God didn't care. God was distant and uninvolved from his creation. He could have easily come to those conclusions, but he didn't. Instead, he hung tenaciously to the comforting truth that God was in control and in control of everything in his life. And so, though we may not understand why things happen the way they do or when they do, I mean, I don't know. Sometimes people call me or send me an email as if, as if I'm the dispenser of the last word. Like, I just know everything. I don't know very much at all. But I know him who knows all things. And I can maybe help find a clue or an answer or, or a guide or a crumb along the trail of life and point them to the one who does. Job looked up and was comforted by God's sovereignty. God is in control. Furthermore, we see that Job 
looked ahead and was reminded of God's presence. Jump ahead to Job chapter 19, verse 25. Job says this famous line, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end, He will stand on the earth. We've got something to look forward to. And after my skin has been destroyed, not a great thought, but yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see Him with my own eyes. I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. It's like Job gets so excited he can't even contain himself. You know, I myself am going to see God with my own eyes. I and not another. Me. I get to see God. I'm looking forward to that day. So am I. So am I. Aren't you? Even so, come Lord Jesus. And we have the same hope within us. We really do. Revelation chapter 21, verse 14. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. We have the same hope. We can look ahead and we see the presence of God. He's waiting for us. He will receive us. He'll wipe away every tear. All the pain is gone. And then at the end of his odyssey of pain, Job looked around and was shaped by God's instruction. Chapter 42, Job replies to the Lord, I, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. And you read the rest of the chapter and you see how Job is responding to the instruction, the teaching, the, the formation of God in his life. Because when, when trouble comes, folks, when trouble comes, you can be sure that God knows what He's doing. He is sovereign. When trouble comes, you can be sure that no purpose of God can be thwarted. He is sovereign. Back in 1986, a Christian worker named Steve Saint was traveling through uh, the African nation of Mali when his car broke down. Stranded and alone, very much alone, in the middle, kind of on the edge of the desert, Steve Saint started reflecting on his father's death many years before. Nate Saint, his dad, was a missionary in Ecuador. When Steve was only five years of age, uh, natives who were living in the, uh, in the jungle of Ecuador speared his father to death along with four other missionaries and let them uh, waste away there in the, in, the, in the jungle. And now 30 years later, Steve found himself questioning his father's death. He's, he's broken down in Mali and wondering what it's all about. And he said, I couldn't help but think that the murders were capricious, an accident of bad timing. Fast forward just a, a little bit, a few hours, Steve asked some locals for directions to a church where he met a man named Noah, who used to be a, a Muslim. Noah started sharing with Steve about his faith in Christ, and after becoming a Christian, apparently Noah's parents disowned him. They were Muslim, and he had become a Christian, they wanted nothing to do with him anymore. His mother even poisoned his food, trying to kill him, but he supernaturally survived. So Steve asked Noah why he was willing to pay such a, a heavy cost for following Jesus. And he simply said, I know God loves me and I'll live with him forever. Well, Steve pressed, well, yeah, but tell me, where does your courage come from? How, 
Where, 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 where does your strength come from? Well, Noah explained that when he was young, a missionary had given him some books about Christians who had suffered for their faith. And he said, one of my favorite books was about five young men who risked their lives to take God's good news to the people in the jungles of Ecuador. The book said that they let themselves be speared to death even though they had guns and could have killed their attackers. Utterly shocked, Steve said to this man, one of those men was my father. He couldn't believe it. And Noah told Steve that God had used the death of these five brave missionaries to help him, a young Muslim who had become a Christian, hold on to his faith. So in that very moment, in that very moment, Steve was reminded that if God could plan the death of his one and only son, he could also plan and use the death of his father, Nate Saint, to accomplish his sovereign purpose, including reaching one young Muslim man for Christ and orchestrating this meeting that happened halfway around the globe. And you know, we may sit here today and wonder why, why did Nate, Nate Saint and those other four young men, graduates from Wheaton College, why did they have to die? Why did they have to be martyred for their faith? We may sit and wonder this morning why God would allow Job and his wife to undergo such severe testing and such great loss and such pain and suffering. Why, why would God do that? We, we, may, we may sit here this morning and, and wonder why Jamie Leno has Rett's syndrome and why Mike Fobert has cancer and why Bill Rowe was taken so early and, and why John had ALS and died such a painful death. We, we could sit and wonder about all of those things, and maybe we do. But if God can plan the death of his own son, then he can also plan to use our trials and our pain and our suffering for his own glory and honor. Job responded in worship, humility, silence, and acceptance. Let your trust in God reverberate with those same responses this morning, responses to your circumstances. Let, let, let your trust in God reverberate with worship, humility, silence, and acceptance. And just watch God work. They, these responses will strengthen your endurance and deepen your relationship with God. I mean, we, we live in a culture awash in talk about happiness. In one three-month period, over a thousand books published on Amazon having to do with that topic. A thousand books in three months about happiness. But consider this phenomenon. People shoot for happiness but feel formed through suffering. Let's pray together. And Father, there are people here this morning who are suffering, and suffering deeply, suffering from bereavement, 
suffering from financial ruin, the pain of a broken relationship or two or three or ten, physical suffering, surgeries, operations that have taken place or need to take place and we're full of fear and apprehension about the unknown. Oh God, we believe in the resurrection. We believe in Christ the Son. And we believe, Father, that you have a sovereign yet mysterious plan for each and every one of our lives. Help us to respond in worship and humility and silence and acceptance and whatever other responses you may be calling for from us, that we might honor you, that our lives and even our suffering and our pain might bring you honor and glory in a way that only you can orchestrate. And we too, like Job, will fall down in worship. We will, our bodies and our wills, will lay down in the dust before you because you are God. And we surrender, we submit our will to you again this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.